0: Hey there, and welcome to Brave Business Triumphs, in partnership with Next, a growth acceleration agency. In our customer and control world, it's critical to understand that your business and your brand need to be more connected than ever before. Check out each episode with host Doug Longenecker and his special guests as they check in with growth-minded leaders and their organizations, exploring why and how they strive to
1: make their businesses more personal and their brands more human. Learn from their inspiring stories of uphill battles, perseverance, and what it takes to make the necessary
0: bold moves with confidence. Get ready, because here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Brave Business Triumphs, and the first episode of Season 3. With us on podcast today is Joe Sullivan, the founder and CEO of Market Insights. Joe is a consummate marketing pro who specializes in the development of data-driven strategies that help community banks and credit unions find new ways to grow. His 20 years of consulting and educating financial services organizations to help them push beyond conventional thinking provides a unique perspective on change, how to adapt to change, and most importantly, how to triumph in the midst of change. When it comes to understanding the impact of what's next, Joe is a highly sought-after public speaker who offers his knowledge and insight to inspire people and organizations on how to adapt to the dynamic issues facing the industry. With that, we are thrilled to have Joe with us to kick off Season 3 of Brave Business Triumphs. Joe, welcome. It's great to have you here today. Doug,
1: thank you very much. It is indeed a pleasure.
0: Yeah, we've been, uh, it feels like we've been talking about this for a, a, a very long time. It's probably been just a, a matter of, of weeks, maybe a month tops, but I've been very excited uh, to have you on the show and just really kick off uh, a, a new season of Brave Business Triumphs and, and all the, uh, the trials and tribulations, but most of all the, the triumphs that uh, marketers and entrepreneurs and business people have. Uh, out there in the real world.
1: Great. I think it's a great idea for a podcast as well.
0: Well, thank you. Well, just to kick things off, um, I I know our individual uh, as well as company company approaches are fairly similar when it comes to prioritizing and uh, the acceleration and the sustainability of growth for organizations and and people in general, but primarily around organizational growth. Uh, From your career experience, why is this such a challenge for many community banks and credit unions to really um, understand the, the power behind that that uh, disposition to growth?
1: Doug, there are multiple ways that I could answer this question. So I'm going to start here and say that the growth is being redefined and banks and credit unions, especially the smaller ones, are, are having to chart out new paths to growth because let's face it. Um, Bankers have, for the longest time, viewed growth as branch expansion into a new market area, and that was how they defined growth. So many times when they would come to us and say, we want to go into market X or build a branch here, I would say, why? What's driving it? Do you want younger customers? Do you need different products? Do you want to get into commercial? So they're being challenged right now to say, how do we grow and do that in a way that that is actually relevant because people aren't coming into the branches the way that they used to. So it's about innovation and product area. It's about collaborating with new companies and new partnerships that can help you expand your reach, expand your target segment and expand what it is that you offer. So the paradigm shift really um, that needs to take place is forget the old ways of growth, look at new things that are centered around the customer and say, what is it that our customer needs is that something that we actually offer or do we need to collaborate with a company and so forth to get that done. You know there's a legacy mindset issue here. Mm-hmm. There is an outdated technology stack that organizations, especially smaller ones, are trying to find the budget dollars to basically look at that and also there's this level of discomfort sometimes with frankly how much money and new talent it might take to get it done. So I'm going to summarize this piece to say this um banks and credit unions are being required to define new paths to growth, that don't necessarily involve branch expansion. They need to look at, at partnerships and collaboration, whether that's with another company, a fintech, to expand the reach and the offerings that they have. It's addressing the legacy mindset issues uh, and the outdated technology that can sometimes get in the way. So these are the things that I think um, why it makes smaller institutions why it makes it so hard for them to grow because they're dealing with the very things that I just mentioned.
0: Well, you, you talk about the, the, the legacy policies and programs and, and even just the, the legacy mindset of yeah. a business as usual has, has really fared pretty well for us. And you know, why should we really invest in that sort of change, whether it's in technology, new people or even training existing staff?
1: You know I think you're asking me a question or I was kind of getting my thought together but you know when when bankers like I'm going to go off on a sidebar here what concerns me most going forward right now is that we are just coming out of a year of the pandemic where the profits at most financial institutions are very, very good. Therefore, there is no sense of urgency, which is I think what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're making money, we're, we're moving on along here. But what happens is, you know, the, the old saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. So because the fact that they're making money uh, is the very time that they need to be investing that back into technology and hiring the right kind of talent. Because if they wait till things and their profits are poor, then they're gonna be coming um, at the issue of growth from a weakened position. So yeah, I'm not sure if you answered your question, but I think what concerns me most is the tendency to get a little lax because they're making money, there's no sense of urgency. So I have coined the term a long time ago, the sense of excited urgency. That's what's gotta happen here um, with a sense of fire about what needs to be done.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that sense of urgency was really what we found in a, a lot of other in industries and and business categories during the pandemic. So they, they were, they understood, let's say the, the notion, the idea and the theory of digital transformation and made sense. It's all well and good, but you know, we're looking at at profits year over year that are very acceptable. uh, It's not, it's not urgent. So we'll just keep it on the back burner. And then the pandemic hit. And a lot of companies were like, wow, we really need to do something. So there was a a sense of urgency. And what you're saying is exactly right. Keep it going. Uh, There's no need to take your foot off the accelerator in terms of the importance of some of these issues.
1: Well, exactly. And I teach a a FinTech school and um, this is a year ago last March when the uh, co-teacher and myself, we, we thought we'd have fun. It was at the beginning of this pandemic. And we said, what would happen if you needed to close your bank branches for 30 days? Uh, would you be able to would your customers be able to transact so at the beginning of March of last year we thought that's a pretty good question not knowing that that would turn into four months and then six right so i'm going to get into this in some of the other responses but consumer behavior has changed uh forever and you and i have done it we've done things differently and as these new consumer mindsets come into play They realize now that they don't need to sit in line at your drive-thru. They don't need to come into your lobby. And so one of the questions that I ask our clients is, what will happen when they no longer need the advice that you say you give so well when you come into the lobby? Mm -hmm. I realize we could spend our whole podcast here on just the issue of growth. So I want to be respectful of your time and the other things that you want to ask me.
0: Yeah, no, that but that's a that's a great follow up. But when we we do look at um, even with 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 Next and, and our company, we do look at a lot a lot of issues and have really interesting conversations with with senior executive level management in terms of um, what it means in their customer control world. And when we say that, it's so with with their business and their customers and the the changes in technologies and, and what that is. Meant for customer accessibility to products and services, and just general information, even about a, a company or a brand. Um, there's big changes there, and talking about that that legacy mindset, that's a that's a big shift for a lot of companies to uh, and financial services and, and banking companies to understand. Um, so, in re, in regards to to that, um, what do you see as kind of propelling that with within your industry or or at large? But changing demographics, emerging technologies, shifting consumer behaviors or, or all of that?
1: All of that, you know, again, I have multiple ways to answer this question for you, but first of all, we have to acknowledge that you and I and everyone listening in today, we are all consumers. And mm-hmm. we as consumers, whether we're Amazon Prime members, whether we're back to the airline websites to book a ticket to fly somewhere in the, in the near future, um, getting our groceries delivered during the pandemic, um, consumers have led the acceleration toward digital in every industry, not just banking. And you know, because we're, we as consumers are, are about ease of use and making it easy and making it intuitive and consumers are empowered. So customer in control from my perspective means that they're leading the transformation. Sometimes, um, again, keep in mind that COVID in the last year with all due respect meant it's been a very hard year for many. But it has also propelled the industry forward to make shifts that were in place and on the way before COVID even got started. So consumers are more empowered, they're self-sufficient, and their expectations of you or any listener here today uh, as a banker um, have been formed by their experience with other retailers or get into Walgreens and Walmart being the two W massive retailers or Apple. So every good experience that we have with another company, with another brand that is engaging me digitally, that understands who I am, I take those expectations and I bring them to the doorstep, metaphorically speaking, of the bank or credit union that I am working with. So regardless of demographic cohort, people, they want a good banking experience and they want it to be easy and seamless uh, and, and really to be able to do it on their own time and in their own way. So COVID, as I have said in many speeches that I've given in the last year, and I'm about to give another one on Friday, it is just basically, the trends were already in place before COVID. What are we gonna do with the branch? Um, The acceleration toward digital transformation, the war for talent, understanding that we need different skill sets, the, the changing role of the branch. All these things were in place before the COVID hit, and then COVID simply accelerated that. So customer in control basically means that the successful business models, and Amazon's probably the best example, they put the customer at the center of everything that they do, and they drive the decisions about how I'm going to interact with my bank, what products and services that I need, what level of advice do I need, do I want that on the mobile app, do I want that on a call line or a video chat, right, um, and so forth. So. I've been talking a lot here. I want to make sure I answered your question. No,
0: you, you did. And you hit on something really uh, that's kind of near and dear to my heart as well, in that, um, you know, the experiences that, that consumers and customers are having um, from, a, from a banking and financial services standpoint, it, it should not be looked at as just, um, oh, what are, what are our competitors doing? Because your competitors are outside in that, in that framework, your competitors are outside of, of your, your category. Because the experiences that they have with, with Amazon or Apple or any other um, company that, that kind of gets it, so to speak, that's, right. that is, that's the experience they now expect um, and question why can't this other company or category deliver that same sort of experience?
1: You know, I could go off on another tangent. It's what I'm going to talk about on Friday, but this idea of embedded finance and the idea that, that banking is something that we do, not necessarily someplace that we go. It is a, a verb, not a noun. It is a platform, not a place. So what Apple and Google, and you know, we as consumers, we place our trust in them to make it easy for us. We place mm-hmm. our trust in traditional banks to keep our money safe. But we have to just, the, the number one thing I say when I uh, meet with a client or get in front of an audience is remember that you two are a consumer and look at your own digital journey in the last year. Yep. And then you ask yourself, can I do the same thing at my bank or credit union? And if the answer is no, then you know where you have to start.
0: Yeah, and that, that's a really nice way to, to set up the, the structure and framework for those types of discussions. It, it, it truly is.
1: Because, you know, I, uh, another little sidebar, You know, let's face it, there's a lot of resistance. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about this episode in terms of growth and change, and one of the things that we deal with a lot of boards that are disproportionately much, much older than they should be. And with that comes a recal- recalcitrant mindset. Mm-hmm. And so I'll ask them, you know, hey, tell me, have you been to a Whole Foods grocery store? Have you, uh, you buying an Amazon? Sure, they're doing all this stuff. So helping them to psychologically connect the dots between what they're doing over here and what right. their bank needs to do over here. And that starts to, to wear down some of the resistance, which gets at another reason why uh, growth can be so hard because it, it feeds into that mindset.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, just to shift um, gears just a little bit, um, I know you, you've got a, a great great career um, prior to the, your, your own business and entrepreneurial uh, endeavors, but I was just wondering, um, in the course of all that, what are one or two experiences that really stand out in terms of, um, helping your clients overcome their internal and external challenges of, of change. I mean, you just notice, uh, recognize right now that for some of the, the, the boards, that change right now is still a, a, a challenge.
1: You know, Doug, that's a really great question. And I could probably say, uh, give you a number of examples, but you know, I, I originally started this company in Chicago. Uh, it's headquartered in Seattle now, but we do a lot of work in the Midwest. Um, not exclusively, certainly do a lot of work on the East Coast and the West Coast as well. But um, I recall a, a brand positioning and assessment study that we did for a bank in Indiana back in 2012, just mm-hmm. coming out of the last recession. Yep. And uh, Northern Indiana was disproportionately hit. The auto companies were decimated during that time. You remember all that. And through research, what we found is that, you know, we did focus groups, we did a lot of secondary research into the market area. And we found that that their customers felt left behind that by 2012, the economy was heating up again in most areas, but not in northern Indiana. And so what we got to is that their customers needed to have the bank help them achieve a level of personal financial security. And the word security is in their name. So the leap was that these markets in Northern Indiana, they're, they're not growing. Their population declined. Younger people are moving to bigger markets like Indianapolis or Chicago or yep, Cleveland yep. or Columbus. And so the bank believed that their opportunities for growth were limited based on geographically where they are. Now, um, what we did then is say, what you have to deal with and meet is the emotional need of the customer. They need to feel like, Together with my bank, we can work through a plan to get through this. And you're going to help me as my banker to achieve a level of personal financial security. That brand position, that message, that guiding north principle, it put this bank on the map. And they've been growing steadily ever since. Uh And so the, the, the shift that needed to take place was they believed that because they're in a Rust Belt rural, or not rural, but Rust Belt small town community in northern Indiana, that they would not be able to grow. And nothing is further from the truth. Now, to their credit, they have a CEO that she's on fire. She is full of energy and she doesn't take no for an answer. So we were brought in as the outside firm. But the mindset that was challenged is growth is limited based on geographically where we are. The mindset shift was let's make this about the customer and what they really need is they need to emotionally feel a level of financial security. And guess what, bank? You can help them with that. That is uniquely what you're qualified to do. So we help them remind themselves of who they already are. And they're still going strong. They are still uh, tackling this one market, one customer at a time in Northern Indiana.
0: Well, it's it's, uh, one thing I I, I keyed on to what you're talking about is that they had the confidence to go outside of their walls, so to speak, and bring someone else in to, to help them and provide that outside in look, which sometimes it gets so insular that it, it makes it almost paralyzing to even understand, you know, you have all these positive attributes and benefits uh, and services within your organization, but you don't know how to prioritize them or because right. it's just so insular that it, it's like, wow, what, how, where do we even start?
1: Well doug, you you know as a consultant yourself, you know that the the role that outside perspective and outside expertise can provide to a group um, is second to none. I mean, you get it for your company, even then I get it for my company. I, we need help from the outside just to say, "What do you see here?" and mm-hmm. so you know, yeah, their market isn't a Dallas, Texas, but it is um it provided growth because and here's another point that gets back to the first question: growth is. Comes when people, your customers, feel deeply heard, listened to, and understood, so that they can have an honest conversation with you about what their problems and their opportunities are, and what they need your help with, as a financial institution, to get there. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so I,
0: we we might have we might have just covered the next question, but it was it was looking at you know some of the. Um, some of the real big challenges that, that credit unions um, and, and banks face when it comes to differentiating value and the value that they they offer. But you know, how do you help organizations work through that? I mean, the one example you gave is was, was great, but is there maybe a, a broader context uh, to yes. that?
1: Yeah, I think this will give you what you're what you're seeking here. But first I want to say that you know, let's face it, smaller banks and credit unions have historically thrived on telling the story that, or or that they have these connections with the customer in the community. Mm -hmm. And and that really played out during this whole round of round one and round two of PPP, right? Because the big banks want to make loans to the smaller companies. And so the challenge is, how do you scale human connection and this this concept of knowing the customer? So that has historically been uh, one of their strongest cards to play, you know, where they fall back sometimes, and it just makes me scratch my head. And you know, is falling back on the we've been in business since 1910, and that we give good service, and that we're better than a big bank, and all those things are irrelevant today. So, you know, I think it is about bottling the secret sauce of this human connection, this mm-hmm. understanding and community. It's just like why. People like to deal with a small company as opposed to a big one, um, a local farmer's market as opposed to a supermarket chain where they're buying the produce that who knows where it came from. So how do we help, you know, basically through market research and demographics and analytics and sometimes brand assessment and working with their team to uncover what is the unique thing about them? What is their secret sauce? So we assess their customer base and data and segmentation and looking at the market areas, looking at the competition, Mm -hmm. I have often said, I always say this, that this is how we help them build a path for forward growth. But I also say you cannot present a case for change unless you present that in a way through a filter that they can hear. Translation, I mean that if we're presenting a case for change, like the bank in Indiana is an example, we said, okay, here's where the growth is going to come from segments. It's going to be these particular segment groups. It's going to be small business and it's going to be families, etc. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be in some of your geography. So through numbers and data and analytics and spreadsheets and well interpreted insights into that data, we can tell them the story that they need to hear, but show them through the filter of numbers and how this is going to help them grow. So again, the challenge of differentiating is I'm going to say and ask one simple question that I say to them. It's it back to your purpose. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, what difference are you trying to make in the world? And the world might be in the county that you do business in. Yeah, That's their purpose. That is how you differentiate.
0: Yeah, uh, that's uh, a, a great answer. And it just reflects one of the experiences I had with a, a smaller community bank. Just like you said, they've been in business for over 110 10 years and... Uh, this was, and this is more from an advertising perspective and trying to understand where's the, 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 the differentiating value that they have. And it was all those things you said. And you know, to some of the other people on the team, they've worked with a lot of other community banks or even just banks in general. And it all sounded the same. So we just took some time out just to sit in their bank lobbies of different branches. And um, what, what they said was, was really right on the mark. It was, it was right there. But it all came into they are part of the community. They're, they're the people that are going to be working in those local businesses. Those are the people that are, you're going to see on, um, uh, at the different, um, uh, community functions at different charity, working in different charity groups. And, uh, you know, even on, on different, um, uh, church services on, on Sunday and Saturdays, you're, you're going to, those are the people that you're going to see and interact with, not just when it comes to banking.
1: And, and that is all good. And none of that by itself is going to differentiate that bank. And so what we have to do, and this is my fascination with the human and the digital, is that you have to figure out how to scale that. You have to figure out how to build community mm-hmm. online and, and you know, your social media following all those different pieces. So, you know, for the most part, some some customers could care less about any of that stuff. But I go back as a psychotherapist, I go back what's underneath and what's embedded in there. As a consumer, I'm looking for a sense of belonging. I'm looking for a sense that I wanna be heard and listened to and understood. Yes. And those are the things that can can give any kind of company that's trying to compete against the big guys traction if it's done right. Mm -hmm. And how do you replicate that in digital space as well?
0: Yeah, and, and that that is that is a a big challenge for a lot of a lot of companies. I've I've seen it through different categories of just merger and acquisitions, yep. two different cultures, and one and one is already pretty far, fairly big, and the other one is is um, focused on uh, personal attention. And okay. you know, the idea is, oh, we're just going to scale that. Well, that's it's not as easy just saying it. There's there's lots of things that have to go into that, and part of that is commitment, dedication, and and investment to that.
1: That's right. Hey, um, you,
0: were, you talked a little bit earlier in one of your responses about data, and, and, and that is truly um, you know, in financial services and, and banking, that's, that's a big issue and a big category, and there's a lot of it. So when it, when it comes to the abundance of data that financial services um, organizations collect and accrue and uh, the, you know, the, the lakes that they, they accumulate of, of data uh, on their customers, what are you seeing in terms of uh, the long-term issues that they should be concerned about? Is it, is it privacy uh, uh, from a customer standpoint, security, the lack of overall data strategy that uh, from, from a corporate perspective, or is there something bigger out there in, in the future that they should be looking at?
1: It's some of both. And the first thing I'm going to say is talent that, that um, I'll get to the, how the data is locked and siloed in just a minute, but mm-hmm. Organizations of any kind need to hire the right kind of talent that can look through data, someone that can be responsible for that data and analyze it, draw correlations, look at the metadata, look at the trends, correlate that back with how that's gonna help the customer to do something. So banks and credit unions need to hire different kinds of people. They need to hire data scientists. They mm-hmm. need to hire good storytellers. They can take that data and bring it to the life through the practices of personalization and contextualization. I always have trouble saying that word, but the (laughs) bottom line is as a consumer, I'm not gonna buy anything that any business is offering me unless they can present that in a way that I can see it fitting in with my life. That's gonna help me pay off the mortgage early or retire early, place that within the context of my life and my personal situation. That is where data comes in. So you need to hire different kind of people. This is not just about hiring the chief marketing officer. This might be, you know, again, a data scientist. So I think that's the first thing. And having a person specifically in charge of data, not the director of IT, is kind of a new way of thinking for banks and credit unions. But it's the most important one, in my opinion. Even Brett King himself said years ago, he said, you know, we need good data scientists and storytellers. And so the second is this, you know, the challenge of, of the silos, you know, banks collect more data. Other than healthcare and banking, those are the two industries that collect the most data on you. Yeah. And it is universally believed, I read a stat, I think it was either Ascension or Deloitte or somebody like that, that consumers generally believe like upwards of 80% that banks are the, the place that are the, the best safe keepers of their data. But you obviously have to keep communicating about that. So this idea of silos of data of being able to pull it, like sometimes when we extra- extract a data feed or request one from our client to run a segmentation, sometimes that's very difficult because the data is with their core provider or it's broken yep. up in the system. So you need a champion. You need someone that's in charge of that data that will take responsibility for it. Uh, and that kind of correlates in with the talent piece. So, um, More often than not, and I mentioned this earlier, most of the time, bankers don't connect the dots between their own digital behaviors with other companies and other brands and what they need to do with their own bank and credit union. So my point of, you know, remember that you're a consumer. So I talk about um, often in speeches, the data-driven organizations. Mm -hmm. And I give a speech on uh, building a culture for digital transformation. And one of the key characteristics is you've got to be data-driven. In some ways that is a mindset that is, and if you look at FinTechs, what have they done? FinTechs have basically chipped away at the balance sheet of a traditional bank or credit union by identifying a customer pain point and solving it with technology and ease of use and easy applications, period. Right. So um, yes, they need to communicate that they're keeping the data safe. They need to adopt the idea of being data driven, which is a mindset. They need to have uh, a champion who can work to break down the data silos and they need to address the issue of talent. Those are the four things that I would really say, or maybe there was five there, I don't know, yeah. um, that I think are critical in terms of data. I kind of lose track of.
0: Yeah, no, but um, you're, you're, you're correct. It can't just be, hey, we're, we're a heavily, heavily regulated uh, um, industry and so we have. a a little bit of of data here, a little bit of data here, and we've got an overlying corporate strategy of who gets access to that data, and it's very limited, it's not really gonna help you as an organization um, or or your your customers get the most benefit out of that organization.
1: You know, I do a lot of strategic planning with groups. And in the last two years, especially, but even more so since COVID started, um, there is always a major initiative with most of our clients on the table about the data. Um, having mm-hmm. the right tools, whether it's an M- MCIF system or a more, more robust CRM system or someone to hire to be responsible for it. Data, uh, a lot of organizations are recognizing the importance of this. Because again, through algorithms and so forth that they can identify 10% of their customer base that are going to be uh, ideal for refinancing into a 15-year mortgage or whatever, then-
0: Yeah, I mean, when you start getting into predictive modeling, then it becomes yeah. very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, yep. and I'm a geek with all that stuff. I think it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is your next question, obviously.
0: Yeah, well, it, they, they kind of go together. I think there's, there's data and, and how you, you uh, collect and, and mine that data is, is there's, there's technologies and evolving technologies within that. But then there is just some broader uh, applications of technology that is continuing to evolve, continuing uh, to change and at, at more rapid rates. So I'm just wondering from your perspective, what's on the horizon uh, that you have your eye on that could be a, a really big game changer uh, within the category?
1: Well, and some of these things that I'm going to mention are not necessarily new, but they are game changers provided they're, everybody's doing it. One mm-hmm. is digital account opening. Even the number of institutions we work with that you know, if I can't go to your mobile app, if I cannot open up an account, and fund it just like I did at Ally Bank to move some money to get a greater interest rate. If I can't do that in under, okay, we'll even say five minutes. That's the first thing. So we're keeping an eye on um, digital account opening, who's doing it, how easy it's done. I think the next thing is video collaboration, the use of video, even you and I, even though you know we're doing this podcast, we're looking at each other across the screen and people, mm-hmm. that gets back to human connection and other things. So video That's collaboration, P2P, The idea of how we're paying people and Venmo and Zelle just got us started, but that is another issue. Another one is cloud computing. The idea that even the American bankers is behind this idea that, you know, if I hear one more time, if I had a dollar for every time one of our clients said, we'd love to do this, but we can't with our existing core. Well, there's going to be whole new cores that are developed. Even Starlight, I think it's Starling Bank in the UK, Mm -hmm. they've already developed their own core data platform. So we're going to see that. And then finally, you know, APIs and open banking. I think those are the big ones. And I guess I would add, you know, the sixth is really this idea of voice, obviously conversational commerce. And they're saying that right now, within three to five years, 50% of all Google searches will be done via voice. 50% of all banking transactions and interactions will be done via voice. So these are the things that that while you've heard of most of these, these are the things that banks and credit unions must get on board with and find a way to fund it and find the right kind of talent and can get it done.
0: Yeah. Do, do you see any generational issues that, that come into to play there? And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I feel my, I'm very conservative on a lot of things, especially when it comes to my, my banking practices. Uh-huh. So I'm not necessarily one of those first adopters to uh, a lot of different aspects of of banking. I've come around to it slowly, but um, I, I think with with younger generations, um, that that they're already there, and that expectation of what you're talking about is, is going to be heightened even more.
1: Well, they're already there, and I'm preparing for this other speech that I'm giving on Friday, and one of the things we looked at was people's decision to change financial institutions, and something like a third of consumers, a third, are willing to do that but it was disproportionately millennials and gen z however everything i just mentioned to you to be able to open up an account online um mm-hmm. uh, you know through apis being able to look at my entire financial relationship in one place accounts i have with your bank and ones that i don't um p2p all these things video you know these are they're they're becoming generational agnostic yes younger generations lead the way but don't think for a minute that baby boomers and people in their 60s Aren't going to adopt this stuff because they already are.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. Um, and we didn't even touch on blockchain. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, a whole that's a whole separate yeah, episode.
1: Yeah. And I yeah, it is.
0: <laughs> well, if you look at it uh, as as a marketer, uh, how would you rank rank the following in terms of importance to aligning um, a, if a company's uh, brand with their business goals? And I just look at it from a four, four options: digital engagement, relationship-based marketing, marketing automation, and digitalization in general.
1: Okay, I kind of love Likert scales as well, Doug. It's, yeah. it's kind of <laughs> hard to put these in ones before the other, but I, I had to say, okay, digitization has to come first. How mm-hmm. do you, if I have to force them? I would say that's first. Digital engagement is second. Relationship-based marketing is third, and marketing automation is fourth. And again, somebody else could tell you something entirely different. They're all like number one in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's probably an unfair question. Point. I
0: think a lot of them kind of uh, you know cross over into one another right. uh, a little bit as well. And I think that's that's at the core probably of di- digitalization is you, we can map things out in a, in a linear manner and see all the different silos. But the reality is all those things are moving at the same time. They're bumping into each other, and as a consumer and customer, we're pulling from one from the other all at the same time.
1: You know, I want to go off on another sidebar, which I'm really good at. Um, I want to make sure we're sure. you sure. your time. But, you know, clients will almost always say to me, or even in a speaking audience, tell me the one thing that we need to do. It's not one thing. It is a combination of all these things. It's a combination of your product suite and your investment in technology and your culture and your marketing and your IT. It's all of it. So um, the sooner we can get over the one button solution. What was there? The easy button, the office supply store where you could hit the button. Yes, Yep. That worked well in mindset, but it's never that easy. So all four of the things you mentioned are necessary and they're necessary because they're going to move any business forward regardless of industry of being able to meet customers on their terms and how they want to interact with you. Their, their retailer, their Walgreens pharmacy, their whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're. There is no silver bullet. There's no magic elixir that any company or brand can can either take or adapt or apply that's gonna be the home run that they're looking for.
1: Yeah, and you know, I um we we tell people the truth, and by that I mean we tell them the things that they don't necessarily wanna hear. But if you're looking to grow, there's internal obstacles, which get back to your first question. There's always things, it's a collection of things you gotta do, it's a commitment. Mm-hmm. It is a, a mindset.
0: Yep. Hey, I, I noticed you mentioned uh, a number of times this, this aspect of um, humanization, human to human, or human touch. And, you know, pandemic aside, um, th- this human touch oftentimes um, feels like it's missing in a, a, a digital era or the digital environment that we're all trying to create and that, that we're living uh, through and, and in. But um, is that something you believe consumers really crave, or is it something that over time they could just learn to kind of do without?
1: Uh, no, they cannot do without it. You know, Doug, I-, I think you know I'm also a psychotherapist, so I have that combination of business skills and therapy, and so it- it's an interesting combination of working and bankers and all that. But anyway, getting back to the point, in 2018, I launched a new speaking series called Deepening Human Connection in an increasingly digital world. I spoke at the Financial Brand that year on that subject and here is what I believe. I would say let's call this human connection, not human touch, because human connection they have now proven through research lies at the heart of well-being. And that is what people want. You know, the UK at the beginning of 2018 they launched a new cabinet level position called a Minister of Loneliness because they realized that their senior citizens above the age of 65 Yeah, Like, I don't know what exact percent, like 10% or more, something like that. We're spending an entire week by themselves with no other human connection. So this idea of human connection in digital, obviously during COVID, we all got a chance to be a a bit more isolated, to be working from home or whatever the case may be. And we realized that we really do need each other. We really do need to feel connected. And that is why the technology... And the use of emojis and all these other things. And while that's an imperfect science at best, um, we've got to basically scale the idea of helping feel connected. Like even you and I having this conversation, it's better that we can look at each other than just listen to each other on quote a phone call. Remember what those were? All right. So personally, I believe that balancing out human connection and technology is the growth curve or the strategic priority of almost every business today. So how do you close the gap? Empathy mapping. You know, you take a look and understand what it's like to be inside the journey of that customer. What is it like to be a single divorced mom with two kids working two jobs on a front line uh, with no personal protective equipment or whatever? What is it like to live her life? And so that is one way that we build human connection. And you integrate video in, into what you're doing. Like Amqua Bank in the Pacific Northwest, you've heard of them probably, you know, they're 29 billion or whatever. And, you know, their mobile app, they have what's called the go-to, not to be confused with the go-to bank, but they have their own app that basically they learned through research that said, um, sorry, I was looking at my phone, yeah. that basically people want to feel connected. And so what they did is they can, you can press a button to speak to the dedicated banker of your choice. So they said, having the digital tools is important. Having human connection is important. And they've built their whole brand position around balancing the two. Yeah. So I will wrap up that piece to say it is a core human need to feel um, listened to and heard and understood, to want to be connected with others. And so if you look at, at companies and brands that are making the greatest strides, they're speaking to those more emotional intelligence side of people. You know, if you look at at one of the fintech banks, aspiration that really is speaking to, that is basically, you know, speaking to something deeper to people's, what they aspire to be, whether it's environmental, yep. whatever. Um, anyway, did that answer your question? Yeah, it,
0: it certainly did. And it was the, uh, one of the things you talked about was really made me think of, of, uh, an interesting example of, of just Zoom, early Zoom. I remember um, where I was working at, at that point and the company invested in Zoom and they wanted to use that instead of um, conference calls because they wanted us to have have that face-to-face connection even though we, we, um, uh, you know, we thought that's always best. We can't always be there in person. So this would be a good way to, a good proxy for that. None of the clients, not one, ever wanted to do that. They did not want to be on video for whatever, for whatever reason. And there was a host sure, of different yeah. reasons between who you were, but it, it just kind of died a slow death culturally within our organi- organization at that time, because the clients didn't want it. And now with COVID uh, and the pandemic, it's, it's just funny and remarkable to see that change, um, to be able to have that more human relationship, even though you, you, you can't.
1: Well, and you I could go off on a whole set of tangents, but, but, you know, the business world and like they're looking at the airlines and how they're going to recover. I mean, airlines make their money by business people traveling to go to a meeting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, any projection that I've seen says that 30 to 40% less of us getting on a plane to go sit with a client when some of our work can be done on what you and I are doing right now. So there's huge implications. There are huge long-term tectonic shifts in how we do business, how we connect with each other. But to wrap up this piece and put a little bow on it, organizations need to figure out how to digit, to humanize their digital experience. Yeah. And one of the ways you can start is by embedding video capability conference right inside your mobile app. It's done. Uncle Bank GoTo App. it's ironically one of the few banks that I see doing it. And the metrics and the data that they have that shows how much stickier the relationship is will blow you away.
0: Yeah, and I and I'll just make another generational reference. I don't mean to, you know, give broad brushstrokes, but um, I know I know a lot of uh, Gen Z um, people that um, they the face to face, the actual face to face, not digital face to face, but face to face conversation is dreaded. They'd rather have a text conversation, a video chat, um, even a phone call. <laughs> But that that personal thing uh, is is hard and, and challenging. And this this helps to bridge that gap a little bit.
1: Yeah. And with some, we all we always have to recognize all of this that we have to not paint everybody all boomers behave this way. Correct. Yes. So I go back to if you're not sure, then ask your customers.
0: Yeah. You can't go wrong with that. That's, right. that's for sure. Hey, um, just an, another um, because you have such a, a, a great, solid career here. I was wondering, what is one of the, the uh, what I guess how to phrase it, one of the boldest uh, or, or highest risk-reward moves that you helped an organization or, or brand navigate and implement?
1: You know, I go back now, they have since been acquired, as so I got to put that up front, but we helped uh, a smaller credit union to go entirely virtual, to close the two locations that they had. Wow and to go entirely virtual. And this was way before. This is in the early part of the last decade. But what came up is something that I still see today. So I'm gonna paint that broader. It's how do we find the talent that we need? Um, they had to, to shift down the, the mindset, okay? I remember they're, they're, they were in Southern California. Their IT person was in Chicago. Their head of member service was in North Carolina. And they had to be okay with that. And in today, bankers will say to us so often, even today, you know, we really need a person that's stronger with this set of skills, but we can't find anybody. Nobody wants to live in our county or our community. So what's yeah. happening now is those geographic boundaries are gonna be taken away and the best talent. Now, not, some jobs you have to need people there but if the best talent's in Dallas, Texas, why not hire him or her if they're in Dallas, Texas and let him work remotely? Yeah. So that, but I think that the big one was helping them navigate um, disassembling the bricks and mortar piece and going entirely to the virtual piece. And so what that meant is they needed stronger investment in technology, they needed a stronger, more supportive core, they needed to hire some different talent. They needed to figure out how they were going to handle some of the members and customers that were used to walking into the branch. So there was a big marketing and messaging piece. So I think that's one of the bolder moves, and, and it went well for them, and they since got acquired. Well, it sure I, is.
0: I, sorry, sorry to, I didn't mean to interrupt, but taking away that geography element and that closed geography element must be huge.
1: Well, and all right, so I'm going to go back on, this is going to blend into the, the question we talked about previously about human connection. So I, uh, I talk about often, um, that like in my human connection speech about, um, you know, like, hey, you know, when I went away to college, I remember my mom saying something to the effect of like, you know, if you love me, I'll pick a college that's close to home, you know, don't go across the country to go to school. And of course, you know, I did the exact opposite of that. Yeah. But I got this idea in my brain, in the Midwest Michigan born brain that I was, or am, I guess, that that geography and love were the same thing. And, and then you, you say, okay, you can only express love in in geographic proximity. And then I got to think of all these banks and credit unions that we work with saying, it's the very same thing. They think that they have to have a branch in order to be connected to customers. They think they have to have a branch to show their good service. And they didn't pre-pandemic and they certainly don't now. So we need to decouple the idea of geography. Yeah. The equation, decouple it from good service, decouple it from human connection, decouple it from finding the best talent. Decouple it for being an advocate for your customer or whatever you are. Yeah. So um, I am fascinated. and I've spent the last four years of my career here really looking at this piece of of the interconnection between human connection and technology and how it's transforming the business model.
0: Well, it's it's truly, and and when you start to really drill down a little bit more, it becomes incredibly enlightening um, for an organization and the individuals that are within that organization.
1: You know, and, and I can't take credit for this, but I'm going to talk about them. And I've talked about, you might've heard of Radius Bank in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And, and have you heard of them? Yep. Anyway, do a little reading. They were bought by Lending Club, but, you know, Radius Bank was a two or three unit branch bank called the First Trade Union Bank in Boston, Massachusetts. And this story is, is maybe a great way to, to tie all this together. Mm-hmm. So what they realized during the last recession in 2008, when they had a new CEO come in, you know, they were in the south end of Boston. They were near the ship. I think there were shipbuilding yards there at one point. And they were the bank for the union people. Right. And what happened as Boston grew and people became southeast and, and this was a gentrified area of expensive yep. condos filled with investment bankers that worked downtown they realized that the market that we are in is no longer the market that we started with. So they basically did the same thing. They completely rebranded. They became entirely virtual. They became Radius bank built around you. And, and then just recently, obviously they caught the eye of lending club. So Radius bank became a digital deposit gathering powerhouse caught the eye eye of lending club and that deal just closed. And so, you've got to look at how your markets are changing. How is technology and demographics and consumer behavior? How are all these things changing? And if we're doing the same thing that we were doing even a year and a half ago, uh, you've got to stop and ask the question, is this still the right thing to do?
0: Yeah. And that's that's a really powerful question to, to ask clients. I, I, I find it and, and very introspective. and. and And what you hear back would really be very insightful and, and telling, and maybe all you need to know.
1: Well, and, you know, I find, Doug, that, you know, we do all the work in terms of market assessment, segmentation, strategic planning, and all that kind of stuff. But underneath all that is the conversation or are the conversations that we have with clients about how do we actually change? How do we actually make the changes that we need to make to become relevant? And that's really what they hire us for. Yep. This as a market study to see, and you know this, you know mm-hmm. that you, you get under the hood and you realize what's really going on. And that's where I feel like we can make the greatest contribution to this industry or other industries is, and we do quite a bit of work in the nonprofit sector as well. And so it's how do we help these organizations change and believe that they can actually do it.
0: Yes. And, and that is the key. Um, so many times it, it's, it, it feels like it's overwhelming and just daunting to be able to to take that on, uh, yeah. to get to that that next level of where you want to be, and uh, uh, it's it's it is it's always not only it's just a pleasure, but it's always um, it's just always just really good to help clients be able to see that and help them get to to that next point in their Absolutely. their history of their organization. Absolutely. Hey Joe, it's been a fantastic conversation. I do want to be cognizant of, of, of your time. We're getting up against uh, our, our bumper here of, of dedicated um, 60 minutes, but uh, love to have you back if, if you're open to that. There's, the, I think we just scratched the surface on so many different topics here. Yeah, I wouldn't mind coming back and doing like a, a deep dive in, in something.
1: I agree, Doug. First of all, thank you. It was really a lot of fun. Uh, I love having conversations like this. Glad to help out. Uh, always glad to come back.
0: All right. Awesome. Take care.
1: Take care. Bye-bye. All right. you.